Hi, and welcome to another Whitehead Monkton podcast. My name's Sam Corse. I'm a lawyer in the Contentious Trust and Probate team here at Whitehead Monkton, and I'm sat with uh, Faria. I am Faria, and I am one of the dispute resolution solicitors here at Whitehead Monkton. Uh, me, me and Faria work alongside each other in the Contentious Trust and Probate team, and we've just uh, compiled a couple of case studies here just to, because we found from uh, previous podcast that's that's helped just to run through and um, related to specific cases. Um, I think Faria is going to go through one first, and I'll I'll be answering answering the questions, and then um, we'll go we'll go with the other case study, and, and Faria will answer those questions. So this is one of your cases that you've dealt with previously, Sam. Um, for obvious reasons, we are we have changed the names, so we are not uh, mentioning the names of the actual uh, people involved in the matter. Mm. Um, this is relating to a disputing will. Um, Mary, um, who was the deceased, died in April last year at the age of 79. She left behind three children, Rachel, James and Alex. And Mary's husband, who was also the father of her children, um, died uh, in 2001. Yep. Uh, Mary was diagnosed with dementia in 2015. She left behind a state worth of £500,000 um, and this was uh, consisting of her property and several other bank accounts, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, Mary had a partner, Graham, who she met in 2009. Graham's, um, Graham is younger than Mary um, and aged 66 at the time of Mary's death. He moved with Mary in 2013. Mary's will was made two years before she died uh, through a firm of solicitors. Under the will, she appointed Graham as the sole executor and leaves the entire estate to Graham. Rachel, James and Alex are concerned with the events regarding the will. They had never seen an eye to eye with Graham and do not believe that their mother had ever wanted to leave everything, including the property, to him. They believe that despite being diagnosed with dementia in 2015, she had been showing signs of poor mental capacity several years prior to uh, her diagnosis with dementia. So I have a few questions for you now, Sam. Mm. Uh, what is the initial advice you would give to Mary's children? Uh, th thanks, Faria. Um, so generally, I just tend to sort of set out the the, the general requirements for a, for a valid will and just sort of uh, rule out where as, as much as we can. Um, so the requirements for a, for a will, you have the formalities of signing. Um, it has to be signed in accordance with Section 9 of the Wills Act, uh, which means it must be in writing and signed by uh, the person making the will, etc., etc. And the signature needs to be acknowledged in the presence of two or more witnesses at the, at the same time, and then they must sign uh, and attest or acknowledge their signature in the presence of a person making the will. Usually where you have these these wills where it's been, been professionally made, usually the, the, there's not too much of a concern. And yeah, as part of the other investigations, usually if there's anything that comes to light or concerns about that area, uh, that usually comes up in the, in the first steps that you take. So here I'd, I'd be more concerned with uh, testamentary capacity, which is a requirement for, for a will and that's laid down by by case law, it's the case of Banks v Goodfellow. And that requires a person to understand the nature of, of making a will, um, understand the, the extent of their estate that they're disposing of under the will, and appreciate claims from people uh, un, under the will. So in this case, we appreciate that in, in that will, if she's admitting her children, that, that ultimately 
the potential claims that they could have on her estate. And then the, the fourth strand is that she's not, not suffering from any, any delusion of any kind, um, which, will, which would affect the, what she's doing under that will, so who she's choosing to, to benefit under her will. So I'd be, I'd be advising firstly that given the diagnosis of dementia, um, sort of the concerns there that the will was made five years after that, um, and there's potential, there's quite a bit of an age difference here between Graham and Mary, which may, may, may give rise to some, some concern. And in this one, there was some concerns from the children that Graham didn't, Mary never actually wanted Graham to, to move into the property. And there was a bit of concern that although the, the diagnosis was in 2015, she was, she wasn't too great prior to that. So I'd, I'd certainly be, be concerned about the validity of, of the will, um, and, and, and looking to, uh, the, the validity of it for for that reason uh, and for, sorry for what follows from that is sort of knowledge and approval as well so a person must know and approve the contents of the will um then it must not have been made under undue influence undue influence is quite a high threshold in terms of trying to prove so as i said the the investigations that you sort of undertake sort of cover all bases initially to to an extent and things sort of tend to come to light a bit later on unless of course the the children are aware of glaring issues of undue influence that need to be investigated further. But that's, that's the initial advice I'd, I'd give. Thank you, Sam. Um, so the children believe that their mother may have made an earlier will soon after meeting Graham, but uh, they are not sure of the content of that will. What advice would you give them there? Uh, well, the, one, one of the key issues with bringing any claim against the validity of a will is you need to, you need to ensure that you you benefit in the event that that will is proved, proven to be invalid because of course if 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 a if a will is disproved for lack of testamentary capacity then it, it it follows that the person of course didn't have capacity to make that new will and through doing so revoke any previous will so it's important to investigate the previous wills to ensure that you are a beneficiary or would benefit under the provisions of intestacy which would apply if 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 a person dies without a will to ensure that you there's of course merit in disproving the validity of a will so i would just be slightly concerned to make sure and satisfy ourselves here that try and find that earlier will because if it was made shortly after meeting graham it may it may include him again and in which case if it does benefit him as early on as that then we're sort of um, especially on the dispute and the validity of the will claim, we're up a bit of an uphill struggle. Um, but it might not. It may, it, it may just reflect that she wanted to protect the, uh, the, the provision left for her children. But ultimately, they need to satisfy themselves that under any previous wills, they would be beneficiaries. Otherwise, they've also got to disprove the validity of that will if that prior will made as, uh, as far back as then also benefited Graham. Um, and if, if if there wasn't if there wasn't a will, then they would benefit under in, intestacy because they're the children of of Mary, and and Mary wasn't married to Graham, and so Graham cohabitants or or partners, they don't they don't they're not a class of beneficiary under intestacy, and so that that would be their motive. But they need to satisfy themselves and undertake some initial steps just to try and locate any previous will, or if they're satisfied that there isn't a previous will that they would then benefit under, under intestacy. But it's, 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 it's important to just flag up that the, she was married before to John and it would just be worth checking what, what John's prior will may have said if he had one and that may point in the direction of any previous wills for, for Mary. Thank you. Uh, what are the initial steps uh, you would be advising the children to take? Uh, 
on off the back of that, what I've just said, certainly be just approaching any firm of solicitors that may hold a previous will, just to make inquiries. Certainly, uh, especially if this, uh, they need to investigate whether this firm of solicitors have made any previous wills, um, and also you can undertake a, a, a more generic search. There was a, th a third party provider who can undertake a search of of firms in, in specific areas to see if they hold a will and certainly undertake those steps. Um, that sort of request can uh, to, to, to ramp it up a bit because of course uh, these these things can take considerable time. You'd also want to start undertaking some investigations uh, more and, and, and ramp things up a bit more. So I'd, if there's concern about the validity of the will, I'd, I'd be strongly advising them to enter a caveat in against the, the mayor's estate, which would block an application for a grant of probate against this 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 will. So if Graham applied to, to prove this will in order to get a grant of probate, which is required to uh, sell property and, and close bank accounts over a certain value, that 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 is blocked. And by having by getting that caveat in and blocking blocking a grant being issued, it, it gives very good leverage in terms of of being able to try and litigate matters as opposed to a grant having been issued. And then it's 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 not it, it's not impossible, but it's it, it, things do become a bit harder if uh, you've got you've got a grant because then you're up against it on potentially timescale wise, and you lose that leverage of the the other person coming to the table in, in terms of settling if there's if there's any concerns that need to be dealt with or, or ironed out early on. I'd also be advising that they make something called a Lark v. Nugis request to the solicitors who prepared the will just to uh, the Lark v. Nugis's guidance um, that was published by the Law Society to provide that a, a will draft of a professionally made will they uh, are under an obligation where there's concerns about the validity of a will to consider disclosing the will file to the, the person making the investigations. Uh, and within the will file will be attendance notes of the the time or there should be attendance notes of the the meetings that took place and correspondence and including emails and telephone calls with booking appointments etc just to see the statements to that effect the further especially in the case of concern of testamentary capacity also making an application for mary's medical records to, just to examine these um because these will highlight concerns and, and, and any memory tests or anything that were undertaken medically, which would raise serious concern as to her, her testamentary capacity. And unless within the will file, there may be a testamentary capacity that may have been carried out, which can be done at the time of making, making wills and uh, will practitioners regularly do. But if there's nothing within there, then usually you look through the medical records. And whilst it's very rare that they have any form of testamentary capacity would have been undertaken by anyone outside of draft in the will um it would it would certainly give strong medical evidence if there were concerns to potentially lead to a retrospective assessment being able to be undertaken to support support claims um of that kind and then sort of the the final one is is statements from people who, who perhaps lived close by neighbors who regularly saw mary and saw any decline um the if there were witnesses to the will who, who weren't and this will was made during covid and in the actual case it was the the will been prepared for, by professionals but the the people who witnessed it 
weren't because of the the circumstances at the time. It was actually two neighbours, and so certainly approaching them for for comment on on how Mary was at the time is is certainly something I'd I'd be advising that that they do. So there there there's there's sort of other steps I may have missed, but there's they're, they're the main ones to, to get it off and running and start compiling um, evidence uh, before before moving to writing a letter of claim and, and certainly um, and, and pursuing it against, against Graham. Thank you. Is there anything the children should be aware of in relation to the caveat process? Um, yeah, so the, the caveat lasts for, for six months and usually it should, where, where there's concerns and these are set out to uh, perhaps a beneficiary who is under rule, so Graham in these circumstances, and he's made aware they shouldn't he he should be if, if he's represented he should be advised that um he should sort of allow those investigations to to be undertaken but there are there are ways to be slightly aggressive i suppose where you you can enter something known as a warning to that caveat where the person who's entered the caveat needs to enter something known as, as an appearance as to ultimately their case and why the caveat should be remained should remain in place and sometimes uh, the the caveat uh, warnings the caveats do come in before you've undertaken any of those initial steps and you have to make a decision as to whether you enter that appearance or not because if you enter that appearance then it does it, it ultimately locks the caveat in place and it then can't be removed unless it's agreed by the by the parties or ultimately determined uh, the, the matter is determined by registrar ultimately by by court so you you have to be aware of that 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 that, that could happen at any time um and that's just not it, it when i say by by a court a, a probate action would need to follow from that if, if it's been locked so it, and that could be done by either party so it could be done by graham in this instance he could he could initiate a probate claim off the back of that to, to prove the will and um it gets a bit complicated where it gets to this this extent but very quickly you could find yourselves in, in court proceedings and are not hooking respective costs but that's that rarely happens and usually you have you, you're given time to investigate matters and you can extend a caveat for for six months further um, and, and again if, if required but as long as you keep the other side informed and updated um, as to what's 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 happening usually it's very rare that that, that formal process comes into play and then at the end of those investigation, that investigation, you can ultimately take a view as to whether you commit to pursuing a claim or, or walking away and ultimately removing the caveat. But it, it gets a bit more complex than that. But that's that's ultimately what what the caveat process is and what can happen. Thank you. Um, if if a claim is issued, is there a risk of a counterclaim by um, any other party, um, especially Graham? Um, and what um, other advice would you give um, children to be aware of? Um, such counterclaim. Yeah, sure. Um, what what tends to happen in these sort of circumstances, especially where you've got stepchildren and step parents, is that you there's a claim against disputing the validity of the will is is one aspect because you can if if they were successful in disputing the validity of that will, and then Graham was was ultimately left with with nothing as he would be, then in with the state sort of separate to the will and what the, the dispositions are under a person's estate, he could bring a claim under the Inheritance Provision for Family Independence Act, uh, 1975, which is very in-depth and I, I won't go into. But 
with these with these types of cases, there is sort of weight on Graham's side where he could certainly assert to bring a claim as a cohabitant of of Mary, given that he lived at the property uh, since two thousand and thirteen. There's a requirement that he needs to they need to have lived as husband and wife, and there's various case law which says what that amounts to. So public affection and, and things such as that to be proven and it's certainly key that they felt that she didn't want him to move in and her her, her health deteriorated mentally which may reduce any any evidence behind that but he equally claim as someone who has been maintained depending on his financial circumstances given that he lived in the property but ultimately what 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 I'm trying to get at with with that sort of question and what what sort of happened here was that it means that you have to always be mindful of you, you may not always get a straight, clear cut of disproving the will. It may be that there's various other things to consider here that's, and, and we've counter claims of that kind, that you, you have to compromise a little if, if you get sufficient evidence to then reach a settlement before you are really in, in cost, uh, costly proceedings um, in, in, in the matter, uh, which, aren't, which aren't quick and they're, they're also very stressful. So it's just various things to just to consider, especially in estate disputes, there's not always just one case that's disputed. There's various strands to it, such as such as that as an example. Thank you. Thanks, Freya. Um, uh, of course, if you have any, if any of the circumstances discussed, if you can relate to them, or if you if you're in a similar position, or just more generally, if you have any queries at all, then please do get in touch with the contentious trust and probate team here in order to have an initial meeting and obviously discuss, discuss the matter and re receive uh, comprehensive advice. Mm -hmm.